If you've got your Bibles with you today, open those up to Micah chapter 7. We're going to be looking at the last three verses in that little book of Micah there in your Old Testament. Micah chapter 7. We've got one more week in Micah, but I want to take us to the end today and we'll take it someplace else next week. Micah 7 verses 18 through 20. If you're using one of those blue Bibles in front of you, it's page 781. Very often when we're reading a book of the Bible or we're reading about someone in the Bible, one of the things you have to keep in mind is very often the name of the person has something to do with either their character or the message that they have. For example, we, I read from Psalm 23 earlier, which was a psalm by David. The name David, David, the, God, the, the king that God chose, David, the, the one who founded that line, that family line that eventually led us to Jesus, the name David means beloved. Doesn't that make sense? That David is the one that is beloved. Isaiah is preaching at the same time as Micah, but Micah's in this little town called Morasheth, and Isaiah is back in the big city. But their messages are very similar. And the name Isaiah means God saves. And that's a wonderful name. If you flip a couple pages over from Micah, you find the little book of Jonah. You're familiar with the book of Jonah. Uh, You may not know this, but the name Jonah means fish food. Did you know that? Jonah does not mean fish food. Thanks for laughing, though. Jonah means dove, which is ironic because a dove is an animal, you know, is an image of peace, and peace is the last thing that Jonah wants for the people who are going to hear his message. He does not want peace for the people of Nineveh. And then we come to Micah. And the name Micah is actually a question. The name Micah is the question: who is like? God. That's Micah's name. Who is like God? And that seems to have been a very popular question to ask in the Bible because if you read through your entire Bible, you will find no less than 14 different Micahs spread all through the Bible, all through the history that we read. 14 different people whose names mean who is like God. But here, with our Micah, On page 781, our Micah with his government falling apart, with his religion tainted and and ineffective, who is like God becomes a question of what makes you worthy of our worship? And maybe even more importantly, it becomes a question of can we trust this God? Can we trust you? I think people still ask that question of God. Can we trust you? I think people still ask that question. They just ask it in different ways because the gods that they ask it of, those gods don't have temples anymore. They do have promises of health and wealth and peace and prosperity and happiness. This past week, if you read the news or saw the news, you saw what happens when people put too much trust in their wealth. Uh, and they put too much trust in their banks. They, they were certain their banks would not fail them. But no, no, there are no promises with that God, that God of wealth. And so people continue to ask, who is like God? Who can we trust? Who can we be sure of? And even here in Kansas, in our, lo- in our own little Morasheth, 
just like Mike is in the little town of Morris Sheff. We ask our own who is like God questions. Our world continues to change. We look at the things that we've things that we've always trusted in in the past, and then we begin to wonder: Can we count on our health? Can we count on our the stability of our nation? Can we count on the stability of our community? The stability of our economy? We ask our own questions: Who is like God? And we hear the God that Micah declares to us, and we would have to agree. There is no one like him. There is no one like this God. Micah chapter 7, beginning in verse 18. Who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. And He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all of our sins into the depths of the sea. And You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. Who is a God like you? As Micah unpacks his answer to that question, he begins by pointing us squarely to the forgiveness that God continues to show us. It seems so natural for you and me to speak of our faith in God in terms of forgiveness. Forgiveness is is the heart of the message that we carry. But don't ever forget just how distinctive that message of forgiveness is. We live in a world where people don't let go of stuff. We live in a world where people harbor grudges. For decades, we live in a world where people hold on to the offenses no matter how small they are. The promise of forgiveness is wholly unique to the Christian faith. It's unique to the God that Micah is professing here. Who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression. You'll notice Micah uses two different words to refer to sin. Two different euphemisms for sin. Iniquity and transgression. They are not the same word, nor do they mean the same thing, and yet you have felt both of those. Iniquity and transgression. Iniquity, that's a, iniquity is a misstep. Iniquity is an oops. Iniquity is, I didn't mean to do that. I didn't mean to say that. I can't believe I did that. I wasn't thinking and I, I did the wrong thing. I said the wrong thing. That's iniquity. But transgression, it, transgression is not a misstep. Transgression is an overstep. Transgression is, I knew exactly what I was doing. I knew exactly who I was hurting. I knew exactly the pain I would cause and I did it anyway. Because I want what I want, and I want it my way, and I want it now. That is a transgression. It is deliberate. It is an overstep. It is a trespass. But what is God's reaction? He pardons our iniquity. He passes over our transgressions. He forgives. Now, now don't misunderstand. Don't hear that as... God just winking at your sin, turning a blind eye and saying, oh, I, I, know, I know you didn't mean to do that. You, you just couldn't help yourself. This is real sin. 
This is real sin with real consequences. If you go back all the way to the beginning of Micah's message there in chapter 1, verse 5, he lays out the indictment against his people. And he says in verse 5, all this for the transgression of Jacob and for the sin of the house of Israel. What is the transgression of Jacob? Is it not Samaria? And what is the, what are, what is the high place of Judah? Is it not, is it not Jerusalem? They have failed. His people have been unfaithful. They have rebelled. And in their rebellion, they have fractured their relationship with God. But God chooses to forgive. Let that be a reminder to all of us. God chooses to forgive. Forgiveness is a choice. We can choose to forgive. Even, even you and me. You've got people who have misstepped with you. People who have stepped over the line, didn't mean to, but they said something that hurt. They, they did something that hurt. They, uh, they excluded you. They, uh, they, they didn't include you in some, in some other things. Uh, you've got people who have misstepped. And you can let go of that. You've got others who have overstepped, who have gone beyond what they, what they should have done for you they, uh, or to you. They, they have overstepped. They have hurt you intentionally. But you have a choice. You can either carry that the rest of your life or you can let it go. Mike asks the question, who is a God like you? Who forgives like you? I, I hear a longing in that question. I hear a longing from Micah. A longing for something that we can't find anywhere else. A, a longing for something that we likely haven't been able to show ourselves. A kind of forgiveness that we haven't even shown ourselves. The promise of real forgiveness. Forgiveness now, forgiveness today, forgiveness forever. Who, who is a God like you? Who is a God like you? That The distinction that Micah points us to isn't just about forgiveness. It's also about the unfailing love. The unfailing love that God constantly offers us. It's not just that God is identified by His forgiveness, but verse 18 goes on, He does not retain His anger forever because He delights in steadfast love. You hear that? Steadfast love. That's the same word we looked at last week, by the way, when we were in Micah 6, verse 8. That very key passage in Micah. Last week, we saw that word. Uh, it's the Hebrew word hesed. Uh, it's a word that means love, and yet, yet Hased defies to be defined by just one word. Last week in Micah chapter 6, verse 8, Hased was kindness or mercy. This week we see it as steadfast love. Your Bibles might say loving kindness. It is not just an expression that God is affectionate towards you. It is the very character of God. That's what this love is. It is His character. When we agree with the Apostle John and we say God is love, this is the love we're talking about. Micah tells us that God delights in His steadfast love towards you. He longs to love you. You know, <laughs> there's some people... There are some people we encounter every now and then and we think to ourselves, I'm going to make you like me. <laughs> I'm going to teach you 
to like me. By the time I'm done, you're going to love me. So help me, you are going to love me. And we go out of our way and we do everything we can to encourage them. We, you know, we, we buy them special donuts maybe even. You know, we, we do something special for them. We want them to like me. I want you to like me. Why won't you like me? That's not God. You don't have to go out of your way. You don't have to do anything special. He delights to love you. You don't have to prove anything. You don't have to be something you're not. He's crazy about you. He delights in his steadfast love. You know, Jesus tells us that much. Jesus says in John or in, in Luke chapter 12, verse 32, he says, Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He delights to love you. It is his good pleasure to give you gifts. Our good friend Max Lucado, I love the way Max puts it. He says, if God had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it. Who's on your refrigerator, right? If God had a wallet, your photo would be in it. He sends you flowers every spring. He will eventually trust me. He sends you flowers every spring and sunrise every morning. Face it, friends. He is crazy about you. Who is a God like you? Who loves us like you do? Who is crazy about us like you? You know, there are a lot of people in this world who spend their lives in indifference towards God. People who struggle to find love and commitment only to find themselves disappointed again and again and again. Micah reminds us that no one loves us like God. He delights. It is His delight to love you. Who is a God like you. Micah points us to his forgiveness. He points us to his love. And Micah points us to the compassion. The compassion that always draws us closer to God. All through this little book of Micah, <clears throat> Micah has been pointing his people to the reality that things are bad in their world. Things are bad in their nation. Things are bad in their little corner of the world. And they are going to get much worse. The Assyrians have been out there circling them. The Assyrians have been threatening to come against them. They've already taken the northern kingdom. They have marched against Jerusalem. But praise God, the Assyrians will not get them. The Babylonians will instead. And the Babylonians are going to take them from their homeland. They're going to march them across the desert a, th a thousand miles away and hold them in captivity for 70 years. They will never be the same people again. You know, there's times in our lives when we're going through a very long and troubling time. There might be times in our lives where we wonder, when is this illness? When is this, when is, when is this feeling? When, when, when is this ever going to end? But none of that should tell us that God has abandoned us. His forgiveness continues. His love continues. And Micah reminds his people in verse 19, He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You, you will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. The root word to that word that we read there for compassion, the Hebrew root word for that is womb. It is the center, it is the core of your being. And for a mother, it is the center of her protection and her nurturing and her love for her child. And I think it's wonderful that when God wants to tell us what his compassion is like, he can do no better than to remind us of the love of a mother. 
that he can show us the love of a mother. Now, ironically, over in Isaiah, Isaiah again preaching at the same time as Micah, in Isaiah chapter 49, verse 15, God asks a question, can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? And sadly, the answer is yes. That can happen. A mother can forget her child, whether it be uh, through age, infirmity, or, or whether it be through neglect or abuse. A mother can forget to have compassion on her child. And God says as much. He says, yes, even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. There may be long moments of difficulty in life where you feel forgotten, where you feel abandoned. But God's compassion remains he never forgets we look at his forgiveness we look at his love we look at his compassion i I don't want you to miss the verbs in this passage though look at the action words because these are not just given to us they are powerful they are decisive it's not just his forgiveness his love and his compassion but what do they do his forgiveness pardons us his forgiveness passes over our sin that's an interesting phrase isn't it to pass over our sin his love delights he delights in his love and then there's his compassion look at verse 19 again his compassion He will tread on our iniquities. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. All our sins into the depths of the sea. I read that and I couldn't help but think of that scene towards the end of the movie Titanic. I don't know if you've seen Titanic or not. It's been out for 26 years. So... Spoiler alert, but it's really not my fault if you haven't seen it yet. Uh, But uh, the boat sinks, okay? Uh, I just want to ruin it for you or anything, but the boat sinks. It it sank a long time ago. But all through the movie, we have followed Rose and Jack, and, and we come to the very end, and Rose is now like 110 years old, and she's on this expedition boat that has gone out to the site of the wreck of the Titanic. These guys have put together the, the, the team, the, the little robot that goes all the way down there. They can, they can look for things. They can go in and they can shine their lights and take films and, and show stuff. They've brought Rose along because they are looking for a diamond. They are looking for this diamond that is priceless. This diamond that if they find it, that will finance the entire expedition. Everybody gets paid. All the equipment gets paid for. Their expertise gets paid for. They're looking for the diamond. They can't find it. They get to the end of the movie and it's in the middle of the night and little old Rose steps out on the back of the ship they're on and she reaches in her pocket and she pulls out that diamond. And she's carried it with her for almost a 100 years. She lived through the Depression. She had that diamond, that priceless diamond. She lived through two world wars. She had that diamond. And I'll remind you, she has been sponging off her granddaughter for I don't know how long, living at her house, eating her food, having her granddaughter care for her, and she's got a priceless diamond in her pocket the whole time. And I, as a man, watch that scene where Rose steps to the side of the boat and she says, oops. And she lets the diamond go. And I'm sure it was an emotional scene for many of you, but I sat there and went, no! No! 
Lord, I couldn't pay for so much. You, you don't know how much that was. Do you have any idea what you had thrown away? You're never getting that back. There's no expedition that's ever going to be able to find that diamond that you have carried for all these decades, for all this time, your whole life. Now listen, maybe, maybe there's a weight that you've been carrying for a very long time. And you have held on to that weight. You have held on to it because for some reason, that weight is valuable to you. That weight defines you. It is the weight of a mistake. It is the weight of a misstep. It is the weight of an overstep. It is something you have done in the past and you have said, I can't let go of this. It is something that someone has done to you in the past and you say, I can't let go of this because it defines who I am. I have become accustomed to carrying the weight of this and I cannot let it go. I cannot forgive myself. Hear Micah one more time. Verse 19, He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You cast all of our sins into the heart, into the depths of the sea. Even those things that you can't let go of. Even those things that you have been holding on. This is how great His compassion is. He has compassion on us because chances are we don't have compassion for ourselves. We don't have the ability to let go and heal from some of those past mistakes. We don't have enough compassion for ourselves to let go of the past, to open our arms to Him, and to embrace Him. Who is a God like you? Micah doesn't point to the strength of his nation because that's gone. They're done. Micah doesn't point to the city of Jerusalem and the temple back there 20 miles away because within a few years that temple will be destroyed. It's never going to be the same again. He points to the very heart of God. He points to His forgiveness. He points to His steadfast love. He points to His compassion. That's what makes God one of a kind. That's why He's worthy of our love. That's why He's worthy of our worship. Because as broken as you may be, God's faithfulness will never fail you. As broken as you may be, His faithfulness never fails. Now for you and me, this question of who is a God like you, every bit of it finds its answer in Jesus, doesn't it? Every bit of it finds its answer in Jesus, the One who went to the cross to purchase your forgiveness. The One who loves you because the Father delights to love you because God so loved you that He gave His one and only Son. The One whose compassion still tosses our sins into the depths of the sea. The One who still calls us His people. The One who still calls us to His table. Who is a God? Who is a God like Jesus? Who is a God like Jesus? There is no one like Him. There is no one who forgives you like Him. No one who loves you like Him. No one who holds you in His compassion like Him. Whatever it is today that you're holding on to, whatever that weight is, let Him drop it for you.
so that you can cling to Him, so you can know Him as your Savior, so you can know His love. I'm going to pray, we're going to sing, and we'll take the Lord's Supper together. Let's pray. Well, Father, who is a God like You? Our answers, our answers don't come in some far-off temple that we've never been to. Our answers don't come in someone else's faith or someone else's experience. Our answers come because we have known Your forgiveness. We have known Your love. We have known Your compassion. You have known our hearts. I thank You so much that all of those things that have weighed us down, those things that, have, that we haven't been able to let go of for ourselves, that in Christ, we find that those have all been thrown into the depths of the sea. We thank You that our sin has been nailed to the cross. We thank You that today we remember the gift that was given to us through Your Son who showed us exactly what Your love is like. We ask Your blessing today over this bread and over this cup that represent His body and His blood. Mostly, Lord, we ask Your blessing over the time we spend together today. Lord, it may be that one of us today still hasn't let go of something. We're still holding firmly to that ancient, ancient sin because it seems so valuable to us. It seems to define who we are. It may be that today we've got to let go of something for someone else. We have to help them forgive themselves. We have to help them find that compassion that they need. And we have to point them to Your love. So Lord, I pray the way that we interact, the way that we care for one another, the way that we carry Christ with us, that we'll show people His love this week. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.